Hello everyone. I hope you are doing well. We are back with another episode of Blitz Business. I hope you will enjoy this podcast. Hi Tanvi, thank you so much for joining us at Blitz Business. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me Ashish. It's entirely my pleasure to be here and like share like my entrepreneurial journey and progress and all of those things with you and your audience. Wonderful. So uh, uh, Tanvi, if you can tell us first a little bit about yourself and then we'll talk about your uh, venture. Sure. So um of course i'm the co-founder of uh, co- co-founder of brands india and fab ali these are uh, women's wear fashion brands fab ali of course was launched in 2012 and india was launched in 2017 but before that a little bit about me i am uh, i started uh, fab ali in india in 2012 before that i was working with titan industries i was a management trainee so i went directly from my b school to titan industries and was uh, worked there for about 3 years at towards the end of my journey with them when i put in my papers to start fab ali i was the brand manager of their fashion and sports uh, watches i studied since i'm moving backward bear with me uh before titan i i did my mba i specialized in brand management from uh, mica amdabad and prior to that i studied economics in lady shriram college in delhi so that's mm-hmm. about my education mm-hmm. and uh, work experience before fabali and india uh, so yeah what what led you uh, tanvi to start Uh, let's start with Fab Ali first. I mean, what was that moment you decided you wanted to start uh, an entrepreneur journey, uh, or was there a plan? And yet, it was accidental and planned. <laughs> um, no, so my background is not like I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. In my goal, uh-huh. like my parents are doctors, my entire family consists of professionals and academicians, and uh, you know that that. entire uh, branches different entrepreneur like you know some people like for example my partner some people say that being an entrepreneur runs in their blood that it's in their genes i don't think so that something that i could have said for myself back then but it was just a wonderful opportunity that came to us a thought process that came to both us both of us shivani my co-founder and me at the right time and because it made so much sense and it made the most sense in the world to quit everything and start fabali at that point of time so there is that uh, there is there was a plan in place but the fact that i am now an entrepreneur was not a planned like decision when i was like you know in my early 20s or something like that the moment that time ashish was basically um, now i was i was living in bangalore at the time and mm-hmm. i was i think about 24 25 years old and in my first job uh, living like you know in a rented accommodation accommodation with a, a flatmate and basically doing that standard corporate start uh, start to the career process uh, and that time and i've always been very fashion conscious and i've always like you know liked to dress up a certain way like to dress up and dress up a certain way 
and mm. um it was around that time that um internet was becoming extremely democratic like you know our lives were moving around it social media was becoming a huge source of discovery and um globally you could see what uh, you know social media was becoming a huge connector in a way so globally you could see what women were wearing what were the kind of brands and fashion that they had access to and compare it with india where you really had nothing so for personally for me as a consumer it was basically either i spent like you know a third of my salary which also had to go for my rent and my living and all of those things um a third of my salary shopping at zara or mango just to buy like four or five outfits or or i could look at like the um you know the other indian brands that were available at cheaper price points but they had zero um connection with what women were wearing across the world like they there's a certain trendiness there's a certain fashion forwardness that uh you know that exists for uh that used to exist for others who had access to fashion but didn't exist in indian brands like there was no trend centricity at all or i could uh, order clothes from the budget buys websites like fashion and you and these early players of fashion e-commerce that really again were just selling on discount and they had no idea of quality they were just working on uh quality or trends or any of those things they were just liquidating inventories which were like five or six seasons old so really there was no affordable democratized fashion for someone like me that was a working woman with a budget to you know manage their everyday life in and um, i used to look at websites like asos and i used to look at uh, zalando and and that time like uh-huh. a few of these large uh, uk american chinese players and some of them used to deliver to india so i used to end up ordering from them and then crying when like you know requests for duties and parcels being lost in like uh, customs and all of those things used to happen because none of this was an established supply chain at that point of time so it was just that this was something that i was that i saw as a need that this was a vacuum that existed in the indian fashion industry where the demand was there but the supply was meager and mis- completely like uh, missing the fast fashion beat that was ruling fashion uh, that was ruling the high street fashion industry in the whole world so over conversations with shivani we realized that uh, shivani at the time shivani someone i've known from my school days in dps mathura road delhi and she was working in bombay with an investment uh, as an investment banker so over conversations with her at the time we realized that that a it's not just me it's her and a bunch of other people as well and that this could really be something that we could get into so we did a small dipstick like we spoke to a lot of people our age our peers colleagues etc and we realized that like budget and trendiness needn't be a luxury in this country like this can happen this could exist if like someone makes bold strides into this category so shivani worked on a business plan i worked on a plan on like 
what like you know how we could start the website what are the kind of uh, uh, offerings and price market fit that we could hope to achieve like basically a positioning plan and we decided that let's put in our papers let's go back home because uh, we were pooling in our savings and uh, borrowing from our family and friends to be able to start this we couldn't start it in cities where we didn't have a base in so we moved back to delhi both of us and we started working on the website in 2012 yeah that's how it all started for us uh, that's very interesting tanvi so how do you currently position your brand i mean who all are your target uh, customer base and uh, uh, how did you the second part of the question is how did you achieve your uh, first few hundred customer what was the strategy that really worked for you so currently our focus with brand pabali and of course now we are a house of two brands but the focus is largely similar um the with pabali our focus is basically to get to the millennial indian woman we started which is basically saying someone from you know from their mid 20s to mid 30s like a 10 year age gap age uh, bracket is is what we are uh, we are like our offering is centric towards now these are women that are like you know average starting out some of them are starting their careers out and living on salaries of like 30 to 50 55000 a month they typically living in metros and uh, either living with their parents or their uh, early married and starting that phase of their lives as well so 25 to 32 33 is our age uh, is our demographic positioning and uh, in terms of what we did then versus what we do now that time when we started we were completely uh, on about trendiness because that was a huge gap that was prevalent right like trendy affordable clothing did not exist in this country so we got in at that uh, at at that sweet spot and uh, launched our first lines it took us uh, we started with accessories and we built our back end and supply chain to be able to manufacturing uh, contracts all of those things to be able to have like a proper uh, flow that we could follow a design to uh, production to uh, retail flow that we could follow as opposed to getting into trading because trading is something we felt would is not a there's no defe- there's no defensible moat if you get into trading in any way um so so when we started we were a very trendy we were like the ones bringing global trends to india in the first like basically first movers on that now mm-hmm. and now what we do is while we still do that we work a lot because we're about 8 9 years old so we work a lot on the insights that we have like from indian customers so there is a filter that we apply like for example there could be five or six trends that are huge in america but wouldn't work for india because of either weather or it could be about the social conditions the atmosphere the you know the fact that we have to of course i'm talking about the pre covid world uh, we have to to- uh, travel in metros and we have to like you know we live in the country that we do which is a little conservative with where like you know uh, certain mores need to be followed 
or the fact that uh, our body types are innately different like we're not built like caucasian women we are we have our own quirks and uniqueness that makes us uh, innately indian so so mm-hmm. now what we do is that we work a lot on data and uh, research on what's working for indian women within our catalogs what like the trends that we pick up we set them to test and we uh, poll them like you know what is something that you want to see from us what is something that you will wear so it's it's basically global fashion but completely customized and in a way personalized through machine learning for the indian woman so that's what mm-hmm. valley does now so how uh, easy or difficult it is to provide such customized offering uh, in terms of um, uh, how frequently do you do the inventory turnover inventory refreshing etc sorry so i think you misunderstood when i said customized i i don't mean mm-hmm. made to measure in any way i mean okay. that uh, that that's not something that we are into uh, mm-hmm. i meant customized as in like basically keeping preferences buying patterns and mm-hmm. um, you know the kind of colors that work the kind of lengths and sleeves and all of that studying that through data and mm-hmm. basically working on more and more of what is selling and phasing mm-hmm. out what is not working so the customization exists in us being able to pick up what consumers are gravitating towards and producing mm-hmm. more and more of that not as a, not at a made to measure Uh, basically got it yeah got it and how what are your current channels through which you uh, sell your products so we sell uh, on our app and website of course that's how we started we mm-hmm. also uh, with both brands fairly big on um, marketplaces such as uh, flipkart mintra amazon ajio nike all of these we have uh, with both brands again over 500 plus doors in uh, large format chains like central lifestyle shopstop and all these uh, mm-hmm. all some smaller ones like globus ethnicity some mbos as well and uh, for brand india we have 32 ebos in the con- country currently uh, spread across delhi bombay bangalore hyderabad chandigarh chennai again your top 10 top 12 cities So how do you tackle the problem of for example you're selling through marketplace where you are not closer to the customer how do you uh, manage the data collection process or through mbos or through these offline offline channels so what is your strategy at that front so there are two points like i don't get customer demographics on mm. who's buying from lfs and from marketplaces like you said of course that is something that proprietary channels only offer and in that case that is our website and our uh, stores but i do get sales data at a real time basis right so uh-huh. which is to say that i may not know who's buying from uh, this pink dress but i do know that this pink dress is the highest selling dress right and this pink dress for me is not just a pink dress it is a pink dress that is broken into 10 other meta categories like it's pink it's short length it's got uh, it's got uh, it's made out of georgette fabric it's got uh, it's got no sleeves basically it's broken into 10 12 meta categories so when mm-hmm. i do my analysis i'll be studying it at a style basis that how 
what are the sleeve lengths what are the colors what are the cuts that work for us and therefore you know how much and how much did they work for us so both demand forecasting at a style level and betting on certain styles uh, is something that we are able to achieve through data okay so what is your what is the kind of replenishment process you have how frequently do you update your um, um product catalog so we actually work very fluidly uh we work on um our lead times are typically quite uh, short so our manufacturing because we work we have like you know blocked capacity with a lot of factories in and around an 8 10 km radius and we mm-hmm. store all of the raw material inventory with us including finishing at processes of like you know printing embroideries mm-hmm. uh, embellishments buttons all of those are with us so how it typically works is that um, we issue fabrics and and the trims to our manufacturers and mm-hmm. and they make it for us on a piece wise basis and then sell it back to us that's how it works um okay. right and our replenishment cycle is currently around 45 to 75 days depending on the complexity of the product the average falls around uh, 55 60 days which is 2 months that means mm-hmm. that unlike a lot of bulky brands what we are able to do is that we are co- able to course correct uh, if needed within the season itself which is to say that mm-hmm. i can make a medium or a low risk basically i can make a low risk medium scale buy which is what we do in the beginning of the season and on the basis of how it's selling in the first like 15 days or so and we get to know very quickly of course uh we can we plan our replenishments so that like by the time there is a cut size and stock out issues our replenishments have already hit the stores within that season itself got it and, got it and your hmm. other question on launch uh we keep it very fluid like we don't like we start the season out like you know typically uh, fashion has two big seasons right autumn winter yeah. and spring summer so we start the season out especially because offline and online both need a refresh in terms of the trends and stories that you're telling so we started out with about like you know 100 and uh, between 100 and 150 styles and through each month we keep adding another 100 another 100 so it's not something that is front loaded to only opening times for um, each season it's something that we keep adding on and uh, work like it's a road rolling process for us mm-hmm. so yeah we launch 100 odd styles every month on our website and marketplaces and in stores we launch uh, around because of uh, of course there are certain limitations on quantities in uh, because of real estate of course size and space everything so we launch around 50 to 65 within stores any given month got it and tanvi if you can sort of share some insights um, during how the pandemic has shifted or not in terms of the buying pattern or uh, what sort of trends are you seeing uh, now we are sort of i can say recovering from the second wave or third wave i've lost the count completely but yeah <laughs> please let's not say third wave so easily 
puts it back a lot um, no even though um, it could go here or there but um, i'll tell you um, ashish the two waves were had showed us very different consumer behavior and hmm. i think that if a brand were to not i mean i think we really really benefited because we are extremely agile in how hmm. we work we are extremely lean and agile in how we work so we were able to squeeze out whatever we could from how the consumer sentiment was at those at both of these points of time otherwise it would be um, i mean a lot of other apparel brands have struggled a lot more than us in this period hmm. so two three things like i'll tell you about the first wave and then i'll tell you about the second wave so what sure. happened with the first wave it's basically the three two and a half three month lockdown that we were under which started from mid march and uh, uh continued well until june end or so was that um basically people were not that afraid like i'm talking about consumer sentiment but suddenly there was uh there was two three things one is that there was an uncertainty about jobs and future and all of those things uh because people were being laid off and salaries were being cut across the board so a uh, lot of them were cautious about spending in that year because of the uncertainty and suddenly basically having your home as your base for everything was also a difficult adjustment because of the fact that um fashion is a very social construct right like even if you stepping out to just run errands you're conscious of people that you may or may not run into and you're dressing for the occasion even if the occasion is as basic as like going for a walk or you know going to the grocery store so all of those impetus impeti being cut out made people a little less inclined to buy the regular trend led fashion that they had been buying at that point of time plus with the added like worry about like saving money and you know whether their jobs will exist or not uh people were very so the recovery time that time was a little longer and also we had to really really adjust our product lines and this is where our uh, our supply chain and our lean processes really helped us because uh, suddenly people realized that they don't have that many like clothes for zoom meetings or like you know things that they can be around in all day which are comfortable but also stylish that they can do their work and then continue their evenings in that same clothing so we had to uh, you know we had to really get into lounge wear and day to evening wear we worked with a lot of fabrics like linen and cotton and all of these things to bring out uh, keyboard up dressing and uh, you know at home dressing lounge wear and feeling fashionable even if you know even if your your own audience so those are the kind of product adjustments that we had to do for both fabali and india gone were the gone were the days that you know we were focusing on oh okay so pleats are really in this season and you must own pleats but because trendiness was no no longer a driver it was about timeless classics that you could live and breathe in daily so uh we did that entire adjustment and by q2 we were able to um, when the markets opened up we were able to re- recover very very quickly and by the time diwali rolled around 
because people like started doing smaller gatherings and weddings started picking up we came back to pre covid levels this time around uh basically people have the consumer sentiment dropped even lower because this time the severity that there was actual pandemic fear because all around you people that you knew were yeah. uh, falling prey to the illness and uh, yeah. you know the entire uh, it was a scary scary time for everybody so in those two months even when services were resumed the sentiment was really low but the moment the numbers dropped and uh, you know vaccination started the revenge buying is insane like this time around people are in a way impatient to get their lives so loungewear and all of these categories are still moving but not even our regular you know trend led clothing and lines and all of those things are moving really well already mm-hmm. and i think like uh, now that retail outlets have also opened up last year of course considering that more than 55% of our business was from offline Mm-hmm. and that dropped down to zero for 3 plus months we uh, wow. only our website and marketplaces were holding the you know revenues together this time the um, opening up has been faster and mm-hmm. our website uh, because over the last year we worked a lot on improving our d2c experience and uh, you know sharpening our online offering because we saw that pattern change uh, not just because of the pandemic but you know even as a habit people were getting more more and more comfortable with online shopping and with uh, you know the convenience of having something delivered returned all of that from like your own doorstep so uh, this time around the online like online for us is working really really well like it's firing big guns mm-hmm. and are you seeing any footfall coming in through the offline channels or still it's very muted it's extremely muted or oh, everything has started already but um footfalls are at like you know 30 20 to 35% of where they used to be depending on the city mm-hmm. so in the next sort of foreseeable coming months you expect more sort of demand picking in and do you see the trend continuing through online channels more or it is going to flip back at some point in time i mean what is your thought i think that of course offline will recover quick now mm-hmm. but uh will this will the status quo of offline being bigger than online come back i don't think so not mm-hmm. this year at the very least i i think that as i was saying that some habits have changed and they have changed for good and regardless there is still a social anxiety that consumers have that we all have actually of like you know stepping out and being in an alien environment one is Absolutely. that yeah so that is something that i don't see changing back to a pre covid mindset quickly so online will continue to be larger this financial year is my estimate is our like is what we've seen so far and what we think will we'll see for the rest of the financial year mm-hmm. fair enough and you mentioned one point uh, in terms of uh, in the beginning so i'm uh, coming back to that in terms of moat so what exactly or how 
first of all is what is your moat how do you define your moat in this particular space uh, is it the price do you compete on price uh, or is it something else uh, which has helped you build any sort of moat in this particular business so it's a combination i can't pick one thing and mm. say that is my moat because fundamentally we are not dealing with niches right like i like i feel that like niche businesses in india for them to be uh, as in businesses targeting niche categories for them to be scalable for them to become like you know 500000 crore brands and ipo in a few years it's really challenging because commerce and shopping in itself is not nowhere like you know close to uh, for categories like fashion is what i'm saying is nowhere like near what it is globally like no like you know not us and not china which we keep like comparing ourselves to for some reason but we are not there and we are not probably even 7 8 years behind we are further behind than them so for us the answer here uh, the moat ashish is a combination of three four things for mm-hmm. firebali and i think primarily we've talked about firebali but we should also talk about india because it is mm-hmm. our larger brand and um, it is the one which is uh, you know more omni channel in nature so mm-hmm. for firebali our moat continues to be affordable democratized fashion for the millennial woman for the millennial indian woman which is tailored to her needs and requirements Uh, mm. that like it's priced but it's also the fact that it's extremely fashion forward and trendy but it's also the fact that there is like you know that the, the minds that are working on the designs are completely like driven on data of what you're showing your preferences to be and we are designing keeping your body types and your uh, unique uh, cultural milieu in a sense in mind so mm-hmm. it's not something that h&m can do and it's not something that zara can do it's an indian mm. brand can do that for indian women women so that's where we are for fabali for brand india it's actually uh, more design led than than for fabali so uh, india is something that we came up with in in the year 2016 and f- formally launched it in 17 our insight for brand india was that uh, as like you know as women that have grown up in a very globalized liberalized india we don't see like we don't see indian wear reflecting our merged identity of like you know being proud of our roots but also sort of like globalized and exposed and traveled and or at least traveled virtually uh, to be able to uh, you know compete like the indian wear that we were seeing was culturally coded to our mothers basically there was there was salwar pieces there was kurtis with jeans which was like supposed to be cool but really who like you know millennial women are not looking at wearing the same kurtis with jeans and thinking that they're doing fusion or whatever our identities are so innately like you know globalized and indian at the same time we don't even draw that line in a way so what we did with brand india was that we created like a complete um fusion proper brand which was like uh focusing on 
colors and palettes and prints and all of these which were very western but combining it with silhouettes that were indian or vice versa so it was a much more uh, upgraded marriage of indian and western than any counterparts were doing and it's only something that we saw that indian designers and maybe like you know like the boutiques that copy those designers were doing that at mm-hmm. extremely high price points extremely late timelines no transparency no nothing organized about the way that they were working and come unaffordable for like a majority of indian women in their 20s average middle class women so india launched with that insight and um, shockingly got like crazy not actually shocking for that point of time but now that i think about it it was meant to be but got a crazy response like we had a pop up store for fab alley at that point in saket in delhi and we put up a rack of india and it sold out within like 2 weeks i met wow. a, i met an editor of a magazine a few week, months ago and she remembers that time from 2016 and she said that i i walked into your store i saw that and i was like oh my god i don't know any brand that's doing it like these guys and i i'm so glad you made it into a full fledged brand that you were quick to act on that insight so india uh launched along with pavali in our uh, in our uh, large format outlets and rose to like top 3 top 2 ranks competing with legacy brands like viva and w within yeah. five or six months that's the kind of product response that we got so to circle back to your question the moat for brand india is innovative uh, fusion where at affordable prices and being the first mover of creating a, an indian wear high street in the country so we claim an intellectual <laughs> um we claim some intellectual capital here we claim that we are uh, you know we are doing what with indian designer wear and you know indian uh, luxury wear what zara did for uh, western wear decades ago that's what brand india is doing for indian wear and now basically creating a organized high street of trendy fast fashion but for the indians Oh, got it. And then we, how difficult or easy it was to start a new brand to have, uh, you know, uh, use the capital to start completely new category, launch a new brand. I mean, how easy or difficult that decision was? Um, it was, it was not difficult, uh, Ashish. Um, but it wasn't easy either. So I think we, <laughs> no, let me let me specify. what we do is that we hedge our bets in a way right so mm-hmm. um, we don't produce big quantities when we are starting something for the very first time so what we did was that uh, we launched all limited editions with like you know 20 30 pieces as opposed to 100 150 which is where our moqs were at that point of time for brand fab alley and just mm-hmm. tested consumer response so once we got that kind of a you know crazy roaring response from our customers that is the time that we bet on india but that again we did it like because we already had fab alley as a website right mm. and we had the kind of we had loyal customers we had a 
a we had a customer base and we had loyal customers by that point of time and b we already had built a certain infrastructure for fab alley and india could could and did borrow that infrastructure um for uh, the first few months uh, so that we could test it out so india benefited a lot with like you know all the things that we had already built up for fab alley and because we did it in a small way to test the response we were able to uh, feel extremely confident to bet on it like you know once uh, central approached us and said that like oh you know we our western team like fab alley and we were going through your website and we saw this brand and we are very interested in this brand and we weren't even pitching for brand india at that point of time so though all of these things gave us a lot of confidence mm. and when we started doing really well in central we decided oh let's just open one ebo and see how um, see how customers respond when it's only our brand that they are walking in to buy as opposed to you know getting a bouquet of offerings from a bunch of brands in a large format a uh, departmental kind of a setup so we lo- opened our first store in uh, bangalore and in a in a in a good mall um, which has a high which has high traffic and a lot of professional people that don't have that kind of time to get like things tailored indian wear tailored for them like they just want ready and trendy effortless offerings which fit their uh, time and uh, price uh, requirements So we opened in like Wake uh, in Whitefield and um, Phoenix Whitefield, and again like got like really crazy response. Like we were doing upwards of like twenty eight hundred, three thousand rupees per square feet from that store. Six wow. months we took to yeah, which is quite unprecedented in that category in in that in in fashion in general. Hmm. So um, then we again said that okay, you know, first online. work for us for india then offline work for us with both uh, central and lifestyle now our own brands are work like our own store is working so let's now park money into this so th- mm-hmm. it was a step wise progression for us that's that's wonderful tanvi i mean uh, fascinating to know how you built uh, 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 these couple of brands and what was the thought process and the decision making that went behind them uh wish you all the really best for it for sure and to wrap it up uh, i just wanted to ask you my uh, one final question uh, and one of my favorites also so if you were to start back again uh, start from scratch you know um, what would you have done differently oh good lord <laughs> i feel like um i have there were things that could be better but you know in this journey i'm left with no regrets i feel mm. like uh hindsight is always 2020 right like um, so now knowing everything that we do now and how we could have gotten to a certain scale earlier um things could have been faster but a lot of the learning would have been lost somewhere like things that we picked up by being smaller and like you know doing everything ourselves um so i i really don't have any regrets i don't see what could have been significantly different I think that maybe some things could have been done faster. Like for example, for a while um, we did not list with Jabong and uh, Intra because we we wanted it to be very proprietary. But the moment we did, uh, the scale just kind of exploded. So instead of those one and a half years of living, um, you know, put hand to mouth, we could have done it faster. 
maybe got our first round at a slightly better valuation but i mean having said that because of that we were able to focus a lot more on building an experiential website and and you know these kind of things so everything comes at an opportunity cost um nothing really no regrets in this journey i would do it all the same way i would make the same mistakes but uh, emerge better and never make them again so yeah <laughs> Wonderful! Thank you so much, Tanvi, for your time. It was really pleasure talking to you and uh, to understand from you uh, uh, all these different aspects in this particular business and how you're growing. Wish you really uh, all the success. Thank you, Ashish. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We will be back with another episode of Blitz Business. Stay tuned.